This is Come and See by Father Ron Baird for April 22nd, 2011, Good Friday. The Gospel is taken from the book of John, chapter 18, verses 1 through chapter 19, verse 42. Different kind of triumphal entry, with the people shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! to wonder, how does all that happen in you know, five days? How do things change so quickly? What is it about this man that was so intimidating people that they had to get rid of him? We find that out in the examination where Pilate is talking to Jesus. And he you know, ask him several questions. He asks him if he's a king, and Jesus does his usual thing and doesn't really exactly answer it, but sort of answers it. But finally, Jesus gives him a straight answer. He says, my kingdom isn't of this world. If it were of this world, my supporters would be fighting to keep me from being handed over. But as it is, I'm not from this world. I was born for one reason and for one reason only to testify to the truth. And Pilate looks at him and in what was probably a, in a pre-modern era, the first postmodern statement, says, what is truth? That's popular today, you know. We all have our own truths. Have you seen that? I'm like, how can we all have our own truths? If, if your truth is different than my truth, which one's the true truth? That could get very complicated, couldn't it? And yet, for Pilate, he had a truth. The emperor was God. This man was nobody from the backwoods of Galilee. He had created a bunch of trouble because he had people out there shouting to crucify him. So what is truth? How in the world does that make you a king, even if it isn't of this world? Yet the truth is, that's why they crucify him. The world has a hard time with people who tell the truth. Seems kind of weird, doesn't it? You know, we all grew up with mothers who said, Don't lie! It's wrong to lie! And yet, have you ever told the truth to a friend who didn't want to hear it? Not pleasant, is it? Imagine trying to tell the truth to a government that doesn't want to hear it. That's less pleasant. The people in Libya today are trying to tell Gaddafi a truth. He's not interested in hearing at all. And certainly Pilate wasn't interested in Jesus' truth. And yet, there is only one truth. If truth is reality, if truth is the way things really are, if truth is complete transparency and, and actuality, I mean, our basis of our being, then the only real truth is God's truth. And the human quest should be to discover it. But we'd rather make up our own, wouldn't we? You ever heard the phrase, an inconvenient truth? Never run into an inconvenient truth. 
I mean, there's nothing worse than being caught in a lie or when you're talking about somebody gossiping and they find out about it, it's terrible. So, I don't know about you all, but I learned at a very early age that the best defense is consistent lying. Did you all learn that? No matter what it is, keep denying it. Because most things in life cannot be proved, right? I mean, you'd have to have it on videotape or something for the most part. So I just, nope, didn't happen, didn't happen, didn't happen. nope, wasn't me, wasn't me. And I thought it worked. That's how delusional my truth is. Because the more I did it, and the older I got, and the better I got at it, and the more sophisticated the things I did with it, the more destructive it became to me and the people around me. Because you can't live a lie. It becomes impossible. Because at some point, you've made a major break with reality. And as you get older, it gets harder and harder to keep your lies straight. You have to consistently lie to everyone about the same things. And you know a lot more people when you get older. And it gets complicated. And ultimately, it just cuts the legs out from under us because we had no ground to stand on. Because what we had begun to believe, even about ourselves, was a lie. Do you know people who believe a lie about themselves? How do you help them? If they can't see the truth, how do you help them? It doesn't really matter anymore, does it? There's very little that you can do. One of the lies that we tell ourselves is that God is this being who is, and we wouldn't put it this way, but it ultimately comes down to it, is sort of the tooth fairy Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny wrapped up into one. He does make a list and check it twice, but somehow or other the presents always end up there. You know, somehow or other the Easter basket shows up. Somehow or other the money shows up for the two. Somehow or other it always happens. It doesn't really matter whether we've been naughty or nice, does it? You see, that's the inconvenient truth we keep trying to tell ourselves. Is that it doesn't really matter. But it does. And we even delude ourselves into what that will be like later because what we want to say is, well, Jesus died on a cross to save me from my sins. Therefore, if I've sinned, then he has died and I will live forever and and it's okay. Okay, let's nail you to a cross and see how okay you think it is. You call that okay? That's not okay. Well, yeah, but I had a parishioner once when I was in Point Pleasant who said, but when we get to heaven, we won't remember any of that stuff anymore. I said, don't we wish? I mean, over here we have a picture of a resurrected Jesus. What do you see in his hands? What do you see in his feet? They're not scars, by the way. There are holes in his feet, his hands, his side. Now, if he doesn't remember, don't you think he's walking around going, gee, I wonder what this thing is. Why is there a big hole in my side? I mean, that's strange. Of course it matters. 
the actions that we take, the words that we speak, the things that we do, the responsibilities we live up to, the failures that we learn from, all help to develop our character. And the opposite of all of those things help to drag us down to the basis element of what we could possibly be, which is, do you remember from the beginning of Lent? Dust. Dust. Dust, made interestingly enough from the palms that are waved on Palm Sunday. Dust. And so if we would choose life, we have to begin to look for God who looks nothing like Santa Claus with tall rabbit ears and little fairy wings on the back. We have to begin to look for a God who is willing to do mighty things, incredible things, not just to be a white knight on a, on a steed to fix our problems, but rather who wants to change our very life and transform it into the life that will never die. Now, the people on Palm Sunday wanted that, wanted a God to help them. They wanted their lives changed. They didn't like being occupied by the Romans. And they wanted a king. The only problem is, is that the king they got had a crown of thorns on him. And quite what they had in mind. Can you imagine if Prince William wears a crown of thorns in his wedding procession? Wouldn't be what they had in mind. Imagine all the fashion people would be talking about what a faux pas that is. You know, the king that they wanted was a king who would ride in on a mighty steed. He rode in on a donkey. This Messiah that they were looking for was powerful. You know, powerful enough to crush the Roman army under his feet. And yet, this king doesn't do that. So who is this king of the Jews? Who is this Mashiach, the Messiah? Well, that's where Isaiah comes in. There's a whole section in Isaiah that's called the suffering servant. And Jesus knew the prophecies, and he knew that that's who the Messiah really was. Because you see, real might isn't the ability to coerce someone else to do what you want them to do. Real power, real strength, real courage is to be able to endure whatever shame or suffering anyone can inflict upon you and yet stand through it all. That's power. You know, it's not the ability to beat the other one up. It's the ability to let the other one beat at you and still be the last one standing. That's incredible. Most of you probably don't know this. I don't think I've ever talked about it. I have never been in a fist fight in my life. Ever. I was sort of in a fist fight once. There was a bully who was at our bus stop, and every day he would come. His name was Chuck Marsh. I remember him well. Um, you don't forget things like this, you know. I'm going to look him up <laughs> someday. But, um, but Chuck Marsh would come to the bus stop every morning, which was about four houses down from where I lived, and he would demand my milk money every day. And so I would give him my milk money because he was going to beat me up if I didn't. He was big. I was scared. And so I started trying to do what worked so well, which was lie. And my mother one day gave, didn't have the change, and so she gave me 
quarter instead of a dime. And when I got home, she said, where's the change? Oh, I bought more milk. No, really, I did, I did. I dr- she said, you drank five pints of milk? Yeah. Well, I hadn't been drinking any milk. The problem was is Chuck wasn't willing to make change. And so eventually... I was in trouble. I mean, and I was in trouble anyway. So then I decided, well, maybe I should shift gears here because it really wasn't my fault, but I didn't have it. I mean, I was being threatened. And so I told her. She was furious. She told my dad when he got home. My dad said, you let that bully take your lunch money again. When you come home, I'm going to beat you up. He was bigger than Chuck Marsh. Now, my dad had never, ever laid a finger on me. I have to say, he never once spanked me in my entire life. And... I don't know that he would have done it, but I don't know that he wouldn't have done it, and I really did not want to find out. And so the next morning I go to the bus stop. I didn't want to go to the bus stop. Being sick that day sounded like a good idea. And so I go down to the bus stop, and guess who comes walking up? Baird, where's my money? By this time it was his money. And I said, I'm not giving it to you. He said, what? I'm not giving it to you. Are you stupid? I'm not giving it to you. If you don't give it to me, I'm going to beat you up. Go ahead. All right, put up your dukes. I'm not putting them up. What do you mean you're not putting them up? Look, you're bigger than me. You're older than me. If you want to beat me up, you can beat me up. You know, whether I put whether I fight you or not, I'm going to lose because I don't know what I'm doing. And so have at it, you know, because I'm just going to stand here. He says, if you don't fight back, you're going to get really hurt. Well, I'm still not giving you the money. And so he punched me in the stomach. I doubled over, tears starting to come out of my eyes. I really don't want to do in front of a bully. But I stood back up. He said, now give me the money. I said, I'm not giving you the money. Punched me in the arm. And I said, I'm not giving you the money. And he started to raise his hand. He was going to punch me in the face. And all of a sudden, he looked around, and all these kids were standing there watching. And he goes, you're not worth it. And he turned around and walked away. You know, Chuck Marsh never asked me for my milk money again. And I never laid a finger on him. Now, I wish I could say I was very sophisticated then and knew the truth of the power of suffering and all that sort of thing, but I actually had no idea whatsoever about it. Or I wish that I knew that if someone strikes you on your right cheek, turn your other cheek, didn't know that one either. I mean, it was pretty naive. I just knew that either way I was going to get beat up, so I wasn't going to do it. And at least this way, my dad wouldn't beat me up when I got home because I wouldn't have given it to him. And so later that day, my dad said, that boy take your lunch money, to your milk money today? No, sir. Good. Did you have to fight him? No, sir. Said, See, I told you to stand up to bullies. They'd back off. I don't think I ever told my dad that story of what really happened that day. I don't think it's what he really thought. In your life, you will face things. You'll face bullies of all kinds. Sometimes they're people's friends, sometimes they're bosses, sometimes they're strangers, sometimes they're spouses, sometimes they're kids. 
They can be a lot of people. Sometimes it's not even a person. Sometimes the bullies of our lives are inanimate. It's cancer. If you've ever had cancer, you know darn good well it's a bully. I mean, it's not reasonable at all. There are lots of bullies in life. And what we really want is a God who's going to come in and fix it. He's going to say, it's okay. And then the other side of it, though, is this journey that we've been on through Lent. And if you've been taking it seriously and looking at your sin, by now you know you've got a bunch of them. And what's worse is if you had to categorize them, you'd have very few categories. They'd just all be the different sins in the same categories. And yet, here you are with all of the brokenness. And so if the bully comes and God doesn't come to your rescue, why is that? Could it be because I don't deserve it? Because I'm bad? If I'd done what I was supposed to do all along, then I wouldn't get bullied? Mm -mm. You see, the thing you have wrong is your whole concept of who God is. God never intended for the world to be run by him. He never intended to be a dictator of everything and everyone because he loved us. And people who love us don't treat us like we're slaves. God wanted us to love him and to want to do the things that he created for us. He wanted us to have pleasure in serving him, to enjoy it look forward to it. I have nothing that, that is more astounding to us than the ability to, to see that smile and know that we pleased our Father in heaven. And yet all we like sheep have gone astray, followed too much the devices and desires of our own heart. We have offended against His holy love. What will we do? Well, first of all, stop looking for you know, some sort of weird king who's going to come charging in looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger did in Terminator. Because that is not your God. You want to know who your God is? This is your God. This is your victory. In a world where they sold tickets for people to go watch people fight to the death, where they burned people at the stake for pleasure, where they fed people to animals to watch them tear them limb from limb. How could you find something that people thought that was entertainment and do something that they would find horrifying, that they would find so cruel that it would frighten them into submission? This is it. And yet even with this, we could not defeat God. Even with this, we could not conquer the truth. Because even though we thought that we had ended him, instead we had handed him victory. You've ever seen The Passion of the Christ? One of my favorite scenes in the movie is right as Jesus dies. He looks up in the heaven, dies, 
and a single raindrop falls, you realize that it wasn't a raindrop. It was a tear from God. And as it hits the ground, an earthquake strikes. And the temple veil is torn in two. And then it moves to Satan, who is screaming in rage because he has lost. All along, his only goal is to keep Jesus from paying the price. He did it anyway. He was born for one thing only, to testify to the truth. And the truth is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that all who believe in him could not perish, but have eternal life. Those sins that you are carrying around with him, and the categories and, and the actions, all of those individual things, even the ones you don't know. That's why he did it. He doesn't want that to be your inconvenient truth. He wants you to be his. He wants you to come home like the prodigal son and put on the best clothes and the best ring to slaughter the fatted calf and have a feast with merriment and dancing. But to get there, you have to do something. You have to let go of the brokenness in your life. You have to let go of all of those things that you think are so needed that they cause you to sin. You have to surrender them. You have to kill them. You have to be strong enough to allow them to be nailed to the cross of Christ and to allow Him to enter into you and live in and through you so that you can truly become who He made you to be. In a few minutes, we'll be carrying the cross forward and placing it on the altar for the veneration. Veneration isn't just saying, oh, Jesus died on a cross, wasn't that a really nice thing for us to do? The veneration is really about us laying our sins on the cross of Christ, of surrendering our very lives to Him, of saying that as you have died on this cross, so I die with you, so that I might live just as I know that you will live. Because, Lord, I trust that even in the midst of the storms of life, even in the midst of all of the bullies of life who are coming after me, that I will be strong enough in you to stand against them all. And even if death claims this mortal body, you will raise me from the dead. Because I believe that you are greater than my sin. I don't believe that you're a chubby old man with rosy cheeks. I don't believe you have fairy wings and I don't believe you have floppy ears. I believe you are God, living and true. The same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe that you were the one who made me, who knit me together in my mother's womb. I believe that you had purpose for me even before I was born. And I believe that in trusting in you, I can be what you made me to be. And in being what you made me to be, I can truly be myself. That's why we venerate the cross. And so, at the end of the service, I want to invite you to come forward, come with your family, come one at a time, however you want to. Or, or if you don't want to come forward, just do it from your seat if you, if you don't like that. But don't leave here the same as you came in. 
It's not something that I can change in you, honestly. It's only something that He can change in you. But lay your sins on the cross. You know, if you want to come forward, you can come forward and just stand and look. If you want, you can come up and just touch it. If you want, some people like to genuflect, you know, and, and lean over and kiss the cross. Some people bow. Some people just kiss the cross. I mean, you can do whatever it is, whatever action, whatever symbol it is for you that enables you to totally surrender it and say, here, Lord, take it, crucify it, die this morning so that on Easter morning you can rise again to a life that is so bright and so glorious and so wondrous. For eternity, you'll be asking yourselves, why didn't I do that a long time ago? Amen. You have been listening to Come and See by Father Ron Baird. Come and See is a production of St. Andrew's Church in Lewis Center, Ohio. St. Andrew's is also available online at www.standrewspolaris.org. Please join us again when we invite you to come and see.